So uh, today, um, I want to do something again. I want to talk about somebody you might not have heard about. But I do want to reference um, the wonderful saints today, Saint Andrew Dunglak and his companions. He's, of course, Vietnamese, and, and the faith took root in that country in, in the 1700s. And by 1800, there were more than 300,000 Vietnamese uh, Christians. The church, as you know, was uh, repeatedly persecuted, and the greatest brutalities came under the emperors uh, Ming Mang in um, 1820s and uh, uh, Lac in the 1840s to 80s. So what happened? Well, villages of Christians were destroyed, all their uh, possessions confiscated, families were broken apart, and the Christians were branded on the forehead with a tandeo, or false religion. It's believed that between 130,000 and 300,000 Vietnamese Christians perished in these persecutions, a huge number. And we remember today 117, and it just represents many, many unknown martyrs. So we must give thanks for that. The church uh, which survived terrible persecutions and has grown and has blessed Australia with so many good um, priests and religious and good people uh, among us. So thank God uh, for them and that wonderful witness. But I wanted to do something uh, slightly different because I know you'll have heard, I'm sure, about uh, Andrew Dunglach and his companions. So when I first came to you, I talked about Eberhard Arnold. Arbitrarily, he died, so I'm doing it on the dates of people's deaths. So he died on the, on the 22nd of November, 1935. Uh, then yesterday, Miguel Pro, he died on, on the 23rd of November. He was martyred, another one of the martyrs. Red's the colour for this, uh, very much for this date season, in 1927. And then uh, today, not a martyr, but someone who died on the 24th of November, 1963. So that's, that's it. And I just want to talk about him because he's very, very important. His name's John Lafarge. Have you heard of him? Good. So there you go. So John Lafarge, he's an interesting guy. Now, my background, many of you probably know, I'm the priest director of Radio Maria, and I'm here to get Radio Maria going across Australia, which is a great uh, mission, and I'm very pleased to be here. You all probably think that um, by my accent, I'm English. Well, I'm not. I don't even have a British passport. <laughs> Who's surprised? Yeah, well, I'm not British. I was born in Katoomba, dad came from Kalgoorlie, granddad was in the Australian Light Horse, and I could go on. So yeah, so my Australian credentials are there, and I apologise for my accent, unless of course you're English and enjoying it. Um, but I can tell you where my loyalties are when the cricket comes. Um, anyway, leaving that aside, um, it's, I, I, my accent comes because I did most of my schooling in England, university as well. And um, in, when I grew up, I'm a little old, um, the, my, my school was completely monoculture. There was nobody black, nobody Asian. They all were white and looked like me. Monochrome, boring white. My school was like that. So I went to Cambridge and uh, to, I became an Anglican priest. They, they seduced me by saying, if you become an Anglican priest, we'll pay for you to do theology. There's a story. So um, I, I was training in Cambridge. And I looked around, and I thought, well, the world's changing rapidly. And um, am I ready for this? I mean, am I? 
I had had no experiences of people of other faiths, other, really other cultures much, Australian English, believe me, there's not a huge difference really. So um, there is some important. But um, so I thought while I was at Cambridge, I would um, go, there's a module, I was at a seminary, and they had a special module for um, interracial racial relations. And I was the only one to volunteer to, for this. It changed my life. You don't know what you've got prejudices until you rub up against people you, you don't really, never met before. You know, we all think we're free of all of those things. I went to live with a black family in Lewisham. Lewisham became the epicenter for racial difficulties in England, in London, because of the murder of a wonderful uh, guy called Stephen Lawrence. I stayed with a woman called Sybil Phoenix, fantastic name, a godly Methodist lady. Brothers and sisters, when we get to heaven, you will not be asked, were you a faithful Catholic? You'll be asked what you do with the least of these. Yeah, what did you do with the least of these? That wonderful woman was rescuing black children. I can't tell you what, how that affected me, seeing the racism that that family were in, in, encountering, truly shocking. It really it changed my life. I was to become a director of the Racial Equality Council after this experience later on in, in England. And I did, I tried to help people do racial justice training and do those encounters. And the reason I mention all of that is it because of John Lafarge. You know, we all want renewal. Often look for renewal on the margins, in the liminal spaces on the edge of the church. And in a way, John Lafarge was one of those people. So he was born in 1880. Um, he came from one of America's most distinguished families. And so when he was, uh, his father, John's a famous painter, you can, you can look him up, and his mother was an, a Catholic convert. Um, he said that um, when he was born, he enrolled in both the Catholic Church and the Social Register, if you know what I mean. You know, he's one of the elites, yeah? So, of course, he went to Harvard University, and he, went, he had that sort of uh, background. But he made uh, some significant differences. He decided to go to become a priest at Harvard, and he went to Innsbruck in Austria. I do not know why but he went to a Jesuit college and his mother said to him as he left, don't become a Jesuit. And he said to her, don't worry, I won't. Well, you can guess what happened. He became a Jesuit. Uh, fantastic. So um, firstly, he started off. And my life's been marked by engagement with people on the edge, on the margins, asylum seeker refugees, people with disabilities. And that experience in London changed my life. These have changed my life, these encounters, and brought me here brought me to this place in a way. And uh, so he started off as a chaplain at a prison, Blackwell's uh, Island in New York City. So we're talking at a period when nearly all the prisoners would have been black. Yeah? This is a terrible period in, in American history. The Jim Crow laws, awful things are going on. Racial segregation. It's absolutely shocking. So he encountered that. He rubbed up that. That was his Sybil Phoenix moment. But he went from there to a parish, um, it's called Leonard Town, and that was an all-black parish. Um, the church has had a complicated history. 
with um, in racial issues, it really has. It's not straightforward. When I was an Anglican, I became a missionary for a while, and I went to the West Indies. I wanted, it's partly what I wanted to do. I was so shocked to discover that the mission agency I served had got all its funding from a slave plantation, from Barbados. Honestly, you can't make it up. It's so shocking to me. And when you look at these issues, it's not, you can't do, you know, Catholic good, Protestant bad, or it's complicated, absolutely complicated. Um, I'm, one of the main Jesuit journals at that time was uh, Civilita Catholica, Catholic uh, Civilization. If you get hold of this, so that's coming out of the Vatican. It was anti-Semitic and racist, this main sort of Catholic. But this lovely man, John Lafarge, went and took over another Jesuit paper called America, and he gave that a voice against those things, against anti-Semitism, and against that sort of bigotry and racism that's bedeviled the church and societies in the most terrible way. He was extraordinary. So he joined the staff in 1926. Now think about that, what's going on in Europe, in America. And he's giving voice. There's a lovely verse in the, in the Proverbs, and we should take this to heart. We should take this to heart. We should all give voice to the voiceless, whether it's people on the edge, marginalized, asylum seeker, refugees, community. we should give voice to the voiceless, whoever they are. So through his editorials, articles, and journals, he gained, he gained a reputation as the premier Catholic champion of what he called interracial justice. And I'm going to hopefully talk about another person called Dorothy Day. And he, together with Dorothy, set up um, this Catholic Interracial Council. Amazingly, one of his books fell into the hands of Pius XI in 1938. Pius XI decided he was going to write an encyclical. You won't have heard about it. He wrote an encyclical against racism and anti-Semitism. The wonderful Pope Pius XI. It's fantastic. It's called Humani Generis Unitas, on the unity of the human race. And he was going to, uh, that was the encyclical Lafarge wrote. You won't have heard about it because he died, Pius. And it was, it was shelved. The, this encyclical which would have saved so much and put the church at the forefront of challenging these things, he died. The encyclical wasn't. But I think Pius XII did take some of it out some of, some of the um, expressions from the encyclical, you know, Pope's allowed to do that, pinch from predecessors, and use some of it. So some of Lafarge's work went on. So what happened with Lafarge? Well, he was an extraordinary man, but he didn't tell people about his, his contribution to that encyclical. Or his, he was just an extraordinary person. I'd like to say saint. And he, and he lived to see the Second Vatican Council. Dear friends, I've heard things, even in this place, in Melbourne, where people have disparaged the Second Vatican Council, don't. I'm here because I became Catholic, because I read the documents of the Second Vatican Council, and for me, they were revolutionary and wonderful. That vision given in, in Vatican II documents of the church is the church I want, is the church I joined, is the church we all belong to. It's fantastic. 
So what happened finally to Lafarge? So in August, if, you're, if you know about any of this, uh, Martin Luther King um, Jr., in August 1963, he delivered his speech, that wonderful prophetic speech, I have a dream. And Lafarge heard that. And he died um, a few months later on, as I say, on um, November the 24th that year. So I know it's a bit different, but let's give thanks for people like Lafarge with his courage, his vision, and his willingness to go to different places and see different things. And remember this, our church is wonderful and it's got extraordinary things. And one of the wonderful things I remember, Miriam and I, my wife and I became Catholic because this is a little anecdote. I was a canon, I was on the bishop's list and I went to the cathedral I was in and again I looked out and everyone looked like me. Well, I don't mean bald with a beard, but you know what I mean. And I went, I went to the local Catholic church and it was beautiful. It was like you dear people. It was wonderful, the tapestry of God. And I thought, I know the, the liturgy wasn't as neat. You know what I mean? It was actually chaotic. In fact, a lady collapsed at the back and they had to get um, ambulance people in to resuscitate her. I thought, this is a vision of the church. We need to resuscitate her. Well, I want to be in that resuscitation. I want to help, don't you? And it's wonderful. Aren't we glad to be Catholic? And thank God for Lafarge and people like him. Amen. Amen.